Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, my guest unravels the legend of John Teeter, the alleged time traveler. In 2000, before he left for 2036, he said he was going to go back to 98. So who knows if he did something in 2000 and then returned to 98 and send these faxes. But in one of the faxes, he says, and this is something that gives me the shivers still, there's two buildings missing in New York. Just a reminder, David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech, is coming to Toronto October 18th, 19th, and 20th to present his shocking reversals. And you can meet David and hear this amazing discovery for yourself at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church. That's 40 Donlins Avenue, right across from the Donlins subway station. On Thursday, October the 18th, you'll hear the reverse speech of politicians. That's 7 to 9 p.m., just $10 at the door. Then, Friday, October 19th, the reverse speech of hitmen, mobsters, and serial killers. 7 to 9 p.m., just $10 at the door. Finally, Saturday, October 20th, I'll be hosting as David solves the JFK assassination using reverse speech. 
2 to 5 p.m., $15 at the door. David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech, as heard on Coast to Coast AM and The Conspiracy Show, October 18th, 19th, and 20th, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, 40 Donlands Avenue in Toronto. For more information, go to reversespeech.com. A presentation of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Michael Sove is standing by to discuss the legend of time traveler John Teeter. Before we get to Michael, I want to say hi to Jason, who took the time to email me. Hello, he writes, I thought I would add to the other positive feedback that you've been reading during the Conspiracy Unlimited podcast. I live in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I enjoy listening to the Conspiracy Unlimited podcast during my daily two-hour commute. I look forward to listening to every new episode. Keep up the great work. Kind regards, Jason Tripp in Erie, Pennsylvania. Well, thank you, Jason. And if you'd like to drop me a note, just email me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. richardserrett1 at gmail.com. In the year 2000, a man calling himself John Teeter introduced himself to the Internet as a time traveler from the year 2036. He weaved a rich tale of being sent back to 1975 to retrieve an IBM 5100 computer. Those who interacted with John were impressed by the depth and apparent realism of his story. In the years that followed, select details would emerge to help further legitimize John Teeter. The question of whether or not John was a real time traveler remains a subject of contentious debate. Michael Sove sets that question aside to examine several figures who may be responsible for the posts. Michael has written for the National Post, McSweeney's, and many other publications. He's the author of the novels The Wraith of Skrellman and The Apocalypse of Lloyd, and who authored The Legend of John Teeter. Mike Sove, how are you? Oh, I'm great, Richard. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Who authored The John Teeter Legend? Uh, I was one of those uh, people listening intently in January of 2001 uh, when this mysterious John Teeter was on uh, with Art Bell on Coast to Coast, a program I, I'm fortunate to, uh, to host from time to time. Uh, but for those who don't know about who John Teeter uh, is or was, as the case may be, just give us a rough uh, a thumbnail sketch of John Teeter. Sure. John Teeter uh, was a man who came online in November of 2000, and he stayed around until um, March of 2001, and he claimed to be a time traveler. He said he came from the year 2036, and his mission was to uh, return to the year 1975 to get an IBM 5100 computer. And this was going to be necessary um, because it had a unique capability of being able to emulate between the APL and BASIC computer languages. And John said that this would uh, was necessary because Unix was going to time out in 2038. Now, what made John so significant wasn't so much that, you know, he made these claims. It was the depth and complexity of his story. Um, he was posting on two message boards. He was posting on Art Bell's uh, old BBS, Post to Post, and another one called the Time Travel Institute. 
And so some of the people he was dealing with, um, you know, these were time travel junkies. And some of these people had a physics background. Some of these people were into the philosophy of time travel. And time and again, when they asked John uh, fairly intelligent questions, John would respond with credible, legitimate-sounding answers. He would even respond in real time on IRC chat sometimes. So it's not like he had all this time to, um, you know, consult an encyclopedia or whatever. And so I think the reason, though, that we're talking about him 15 years later is that while he did make some predictions that were wrong, he also made some predictions that have panned out. So even if John Teeter was not a real-time traveler, what my book uh, looks into is if he wasn't, then who wrote these stories? Who had this information to be able to put this across? Right. And it's it's also a very interesting sociological, psychological examination, remembering that in 2001, the Internet, or 2000 rather, the Internet was still young. A lot of people had dial-ups. They didn't have, we didn't have high-speed Internet connections. Uh, and so the idea that legends can be born, and you use the term legend rather than hoax, and we'll get into that in a moment, but the idea that legends... Uh, we're being born online is a very interesting area to to investigate. Now I know you know I'm a, a long time aficionado uh, f- uh, or f- fan, if you will, of, of time travel. I just eat anything up to do with time travel, and I know you're the same. Um, now, but how did you sort of dip your toe into this investigation? Uh, you you were were you listening to Coast to Coast back then, or or how did you how did you begin this uh, adventure? Yeah, I was I was a little young. I was I would have been seventeen at the time, so I wasn't into coast yet. More into uh, you know going to parties, trying to meet girls, things like that. And uh, so I guess it would have been maybe I'd say two thousand ten. And just like you know, most of your listeners, I'm into all these subjects: UFOs, Men in Black, you name it. And I was just kind of going down the YouTube rabbit hole, and um, I I started listening to a Coast to Coast episode. Actually, I think it was one that George hosted, and I started talking about John Teeter. And as they were talking. I recall getting like a shiver of excitement, like, wow, this is, this is legit, you know, like there's so many of these, um, you know, Fordian topics out there and some, some have more validity than others. But as soon as I heard this, I thought, wow, this is legitimate. And as I was listening to the show, I started Googling. And then, of course, the post came up and I was reading the post and I was looking at some of the images that John Teeter posted. And I've been into it ever since. I think, you know, I'm a member of, there's, there's a small but thriving Sort of John Teeter community online. They post on message boards like uh, Above Top Secret and Paranormalis and of course on Facebook. And so I interact with these people and uh, whenever there's a new development, of course, it's very exciting. And, you know, that's one of the things my book seeks to do is instead of just because the John Teeter story has been rehashed and it's been told very effectively both in uh, at least one book called Conviction of a Time Traveler as well as some very well-written articles. So what I sort of wanted to do was provide a compendium to that that would say, hey, this is what's been happening in the wake of the John Teeter story, and these are what some of the uh, role players involved and some of the suspected authors, this is what they've been up to since then. So I think if you take my book in conjunction with Conviction of a Time Traveler, which makes sort of a almost a lawyerly case that John Teeter was real, then you have a pretty good reference for the entire John Teeter story. So part of you initially uh, thought this has a real air of authenticity to it, this John Teeter story. Oh, definitely. And I still, I, I still remain on the fence. You know, I'm not setting out to debunk the John Teeter story. There's still, I think anyone who's serious about the John Teeter story, Oliver Williams comes to mind, uh, the webmaster for johnteeter.com. I think we all kind of waver. You know, sometimes we'll be like, okay, 
you know, these predictions were wrong. Uh, you know, this, the, some, of the, some of these people around it are kind of fishy. But then something will happen, like oh, another prediction will be borne out, and, and you'll go right back thinking, hey, this, maybe this guy really was a time traveler. Mike Sove is uh, with us, the author of Who Authored the John Teeter Legend? Uh, how do folks get a, a hold of the book, Mike? Yeah, it's on Amazon, so you just type that into Amazon. You can also go to my website at www.mikesove.com. S-A-U-V-E is the uh, the last name. S-A-U-V-E, mikesove.com. Uh, now, speaking of uh, sort of this air of authenticity, you mentioned that uh, when he was hosting and when he came on with Art Bell, he was talking about how he had traveled back to 1975 from the year, um, was it uh, 2036? In order to uh, to find his grandfather's IBM 5100. That's now right. I don't know. Um, had the Unix system timed out by then? I mean, had that prediction come true that he had to get that because it was a necessary piece of, you know, equipment? Uh, to- yeah. the The idea was that, is that Unix is going to time out in 2038, and I believe I'm not a computer science guy, but I believe that still uh, may well happen. Uh, similar to. What was feared with the Y2K bug? Again, I'm not a, you know, a computer guy, but right. it basically boils down to the idea that there's a limited, like Unix runs on seconds, like so the the uh, anti-lock brakes in your car, all these things still use Unix, and it runs on calculations based on seconds, and there's only so many permutations available. So by the time 2038 comes, they're all going to be used up. So like Y2K, they're just going to have to make some changes. But this is one area where you know, computer people could say, wow, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about with Unix. But more significantly, the um, unique feature of the IBM 5100, a couple of years after the John Teeter story uh, had made the rounds, one of the uh, engineers from IBM came forward and he said, hey, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if he's a time traveler, but there's maybe 20 people in the world who knew that. So this is probably one of the... That the IBM 5100 was a necessary... Uh, that it had a unique capability right. to um, emulate uh, emulate programs from APL and basic computer languages. Essentially, IBM didn't want their customers to know this because it would hurt their business. Uh, I see. Okay, so as you were told that only about 20 people on the planet actually knew this. So I guess if you're an FBI profiler and you're trying to find out who was who was John Teeter, uh-huh. uh, you know that's a pretty good lead. Uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of its own little cottage in, in, industry of speculation who um, who might have been his grandfather. I know some people have looked into it without uh, too many leads. I mean, there is an idea that you know maybe more people know than this. Maybe it gets around IBM, but it was a, it was a closely guarded secret. Right. The other thing uh, when he's uh, posting, he talks about his time machine, the actual device that he's using to to. To go back 2036 to the year 1975, and then he stops off in the year 2000, and then, of course, checks in online and with Art Bell. But he writes, uh, My time machine is a stationary mass, temporal displacement unit manufactured by General Electric. The unit is powered by two top spin dual positive singularities that produce a standard offset Tipler senusoid. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously, you know, the old, the old saying, BS baffles brains, or this guy really knows something. Yeah, I mean, I think what uh, one of my, it's another one of the things that you can kind of put in the accurate predictions camp. He said that the, the technology was going to be developed at uh, CERN, and it was going to involve mini black holes or curved black holes. And as we now know, what's going on at CERN with the Large Hadron Collider, they're attempting to do exactly that. 
And I don't know, maybe you could tell me, like, right now, I think CERN is pretty well entrenched in the public consciousness. So anyone who's into science knows what's going on at CERN. But do you recall in 2000, 2001, would just the average civilian have a sense of what was happening at CERN? I don't remember CERN being on the radar at that time. I could be yeah. wrong, but I, I do not recall anything about CERN. Now, because uh, I looked 15 it up years and ago. I saw they, they did start building the Large Hadron Collider in 1998. So it's not like it was information that nobody had. But it's again, it's another one of these things where John Teeter had, he was either a very intelligent man or he had, or there's also the theory that it's a team, that maybe one guy is the physics guy, one guy is a, is a science fiction writer. Another guy is, um, you know, a philosophy guy. Right, right. Well, uh, it certainly does have that air of authenticity, and uh, it captivated millions of people. The the difference between a legend and a hoax, because you're not out to debunk this story, uh, but what is the difference? No, I'm not. And uh, just a quick word on debunking. I think that's one of the, my motivations in writing the book. I find when people are dismissive of the story, They'll just look at the very surface and they'll see, okay, he predicted a civil war in 2004. That didn't happen. He predicted that Russia was going to nuke the U.S. and that didn't happen. Case closed, right? But they don't go beyond that. They don't look at the, the depth and complexity of the story. So basically, I have a quote in my book from a folklore professor. And he defines a legend as something that's believed to be true by some, false by other, or both or neither by most. And I think that pretty well encapsulates what the John Teeter story is. It's, you know, for some people, like I said, it's not even, doesn't even register. Like uh, there's a Skeptoid podcast where it's it's debunking it, but all the entire podcast is just saying, how could anyone believe this? It doesn't even get into any of the elements of the story. Right, right. Well, let's talk about some of the other predictions. You mentioned that he did predict there would be a civil war uh, and um, uh, was that in 2006 or 2004? He talked about there would be no more Olympics after the year 2004. Yeah. Um, but what were what were some of the predictions he made that that did come true? Well, I like to put his predictions in two categories. There's one category where a talented futurist or just someone with an eye towards trends might have been able to predict. These include um, a, a prediction of where he describes something very similar to YouTube. Someone asked him about the entertainment industry. And he said, well, it's decentralized. People do it in their own homes, in small groups. or uh, And so, yeah, it sounded almost exactly like YouTube. And this was in 2001 when YouTube was pretty far on the horizon. Similar, he described, someone asked him what, um, what, our, what his Internet was like in 2036. And he said it's based on a series of independent, self-powered nodes that are mobile and can be put up anywhere. And that sounds a lot like our Internet. Mm-hmm. And then there's, the, there's a couple that are just bang on, incredibly specific. Um, and it should be noted that John said time and again, he's, he would not provide information that would help anyone, um, A, avoid death by probability, or B, uh, profit. So people were asking him time and again for sports predictions and things like this. And frankly, he found it very annoying because, as you know, John Teeter came from this post-apocalyptic wasteland, and he's very mad at some of the people in 2000. But the one he did, um, the one that's bang on is um, somebody asked him at the time, there was a big marketing campaign for something called Project IT. Nobody knew what it was, but they knew it was going to be a piece of technology. And uh, John said, I guess he thought he could answer this one because it would just be a fun, fun one to answer. And he said, it's like a motorized scooter. And what Project IT would eventually yield is a Segway. Right, right. So how many people, this was being kept under wraps. I mean, it's possible 
he went in the in the thirty or forty seconds before he responded that he like somehow got in like Googled the patent office if the patent office was even online at that time, but it's very unlikely. So, and one thing that does bring up is a theory by a man called the Hoax Hunter, who's um, he's a debunker, but I respect what he's done because he's put a lot of time and effort into it. And he has a theory that a lot of the people interacting with John may have been planned because he said they don't have much of an internet profile outside of those posts. The people, in other words, the people that were asking him questions uh, in these forums were, were set up. Yeah, or may have been. Right. And then a little so, bit yeah. like Donna Brazil feeding questions to Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then here's another one that's a real, a real eye opener. And so there's actually two faxes that were sent to Art Bell in 1998 before John Teeter started posting online. And this is fascinating to me because it could be, it could be two things. He said he was in 2000 before he left for 2036. He said he was going to go back to 98. So who knows if he did something in 2000 and then returned to 98 and sent these faxes. But in one of the faxes, he says, and this is something that gives me the shivers still. There's two buildings missing in New York. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, was there a certain point when, I mean, you're researching this and you're you're um, you're starting to think this this could actually be true? I mean, was there? Did you sort of get that tingle up your spine, saying, "Oh my God, this 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 guy might be real." Yeah, as I said in the conclusion, I sort of felt like the harder I looked into this, I was going to come up with a hard answer. Who is behind this story? And I did come up with two people I think are the most likely suspects. And I still can't figure out what permutation. If they may be added in conjunction. These two people are um, Larry Haber and Joseph Matheny. I guess we can get into them later. Yeah, we'll but, come uh, back to those. But yeah, because there is a, a chapter where you, where you talk about the suspects and you, you include a, a quote from someone named Dan Scott, who's the admin of the John Teeter uh, Facebook group, and, and uh, he, his quote is, all roads lead to Larry Haber. So <laughs> yeah, we'll find true. out yeah, who Larry Haber is and some of these others. Yeah, but to finish answering your question, like I was saying, I thought, okay, I'm going to come up with a conclusion, but ultimately it left me as undecided as ever. I think, you know, the more I look into it, I don't know if, if one of these people are behind it. I don't know if maybe John Teeter was real. I think it's equally probable that one of these people, Larry Haber, Joseph Matheny, is behind the story as it is that maybe John Teeter was a real time traveler. Hey, just a reminder, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone is now available on Spotify. If you enjoy rock and roll and mysteries, check out my podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Check out this week's episode, part two of the life and times and sudden death of ACDC's Bond Scott. Next week, the 440 Hertz Conspiracy, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, part of the Jericho Network, now available on Spotify. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. 
Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more, listen to the dead files wherever you get your podcasts. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Writer, researcher Michael Sovey is here talking about the legend of time traveler John Teeter. Assuming that John Teeter wasn't a real time yeah. traveler, and it is one of the suspects that you mentioned in the book, what would the motivation be? I mean, what was in it for them? They didn't. Well, and did they profit? Could they have profited off of this? Yeah, here's the here's the like the million dollar question of the John Teeter story. If it was for profit, where are the profits? Oliver Williams, who I mentioned before, web, webmaster for the John Teeter website, he said that this Larry Haber, he's an entertainment lawyer, says if he's, if he's an entertainment lawyer trying to make money off this, he must be the worst entertainment lawyer in the world because no money has come. The only thing you might be able to point at is shortly after John Teeter disappeared, a book called John Teeter, A Time Traveler's Tale went up on Amazon, and it's nothing more than a collection of the posts put into book form. And at the time, it sold for, I don't know, but whatever was reasonable, probably, you know, 10 or $20 or something. But since then, it's gone out of print, which is a part of the uh, Matheny-Haber kind of rivalry that's going on now. It's gone out of print, and I looked the other day, and it was going for $890 on Amazon. Even though it's the same post, you can just you can get them on my website for free. I have a PDF. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, if, it was, if there was a profit motive, they, there's a lot of effort put in for very little return, it would seem like, on the surface. Oh, for sure. I, I genuinely, I've come to believe that whoever did this, if, if it was not a real time traveler, it was a passion project more than anything. It was something they did for the love of the game. Could it have been some sort of a psyop? Well, that's possible, I guess. There is one thing that uh, that uh, kind of gives me the creeps is um, uh, Oliver Williams was on um, uh, Jimmy Church, Fade to Black with Jimmy Church, and right. he was saying that he can see the um, 
the uh, like the IP addresses of the people visiting his website, and he was saying a, a disproportionate number, like a very large number, are from like .nsa, .gov, .gov, .gov. So mm-hmm. a, there seems to be a lot of government interest in the story to this day. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Government interest in this. Well, there have been other so-called time travel uh, whistleblowers. Um, I, I don't know if you've, you've studied at all the work or the, the writings of Andrew Bashago. Yeah, uh, who, I'm, up on, I'm up on Paz Diego. <laughs> okay, yeah, Andrew believes or, or claims that he was part of Project Pegasus, this time travel, military time travel uh, experiment, which goes back, I guess, to the late 60s, early 70s, and he participated in this as a child. And I've, I've interviewed Andrew a few times. What do you think of Andrew Bashago's story? Uh, I find it a little uh, less plausible. I find his claims are pretty fairly broad, and I don't. I haven't seen the t- the level of evidence like you see with the John Teeter story. Right. I think it's a, I think it's a fun story. I don't know if I if I buy into it that much. I do think there's an interesting parallel though between him and and Larry Haber, because while Bagiego is out on uh, speaking tours, and uh, you know, I don't grudge anyone the right to uh, charge money to have people come see them. Larry Haber's not doing anything like that. Like Larry Haber entertainment lawyer who represents Kay Teeter, John Teeter's alleged mother. He's doing nothing to fan the flames, essentially. He just acts like, okay, this fell into my lap. It's very strange, and I, this is just how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to do what the family tells me, and that's that. Uh, the, uh, the gravity distortion time displacement unit that Teeter uh, claimed he used to get from 2036 back to 75 and so forth, mm-hmm. um, there's a drawing of it. Is yep. a, a professional draftsman uh, put this together, and I mean, have you shown this to anyone that um, that would have, I guess, sufficient background? I don't know, theoretical physics that might be able to, I don't know, comment yeah, people, on whether this is vali- valid or not. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about that, and basically, the the thing that comes back time and again is that all this stuff is theoretically possible. It's just that the technology doesn't exist. And that actually brings up another interesting case. There's a man named uh, Marlon Pullman. He's a Ph.D. Uh, he, his um, specialty is in Oracle, Oracle, which is like a type of IT software, I believe. Right. But he he issued a patent based, um, like verbatim, like copy and paste on John Teeter's time travel um, schematics. Now, of course, anyone can file a patent. It doesn't mean it's going to go anywhere, right? But I've looked at this patent and it looks it's like above my pay grade, but it, it's very valid. And it's just again that the the technology doesn't exist, but interestingly, a lot of what John Teeter describes is a lot of what they're working on at CERN right now. So who can say? Maybe that uh, patent of Marlon Pullman's is going to really pay off uh, someday. Well, let's start to talk a little bit about the suspects and who may be behind the John Teeter legend. You mentioned Larry Haber, this entertainment uh, entertainment lawyer. Yep. So Larry's a Florida-based uh, entertainment lawyer, and um, he claims to represent uh, Kay Teeter. He's been on Coast to Coast, uh, you know, um, acting as a, as a mouthpiece for Kay, essentially. And Kay Teeter and, uh, is, you should mention, Kay Teeter is John's mother, right? Yeah, John's uh, alleged mother. Right. And um, so where Larry figures into the story most prominently is he has been the, the only figure to advance the story since it stopped. He's done two things. He's posted a uh, letter from John uh, to YouTube. Um, can't quite recall. It was a few years ago. I mean, I want to say like 2011, but I, I could be off. But anyways, he posted this letter to John, and it was essentially saying that uh, John needs to find his way back, and he needs this letter on YouTube so that other time traveler John Teeters can use it as kind of a signpost. And similarly, uh, the John Teeter Foundation website, it contains only one thing, and it's a short Excel graph, and it just has 
John, numbered Johns, and then uh, numbers with decimals, which is supposed to be the divergence. And this is a table that's supposed to allow John to return to uh, specific world lines, I guess. And so, you know, if Larry Haber is, at the very least, if this is all a complex game, Larry Haber's the guy still moving it forward to this day. But like I said, he's not, like, I'm friends with Larry Haber on Facebook. He is not, like, pounding the John Teeter drum. If you ask him a question, he'll be polite. He'll say yes or no. I mean, he's, he has a full, this is just one of his clients. Right? right, he's not pitching any movie deals to Hollywood. Just an explosion in interest in, in this John Teeter fellow who claimed to be a time traveler, came back from the year 2036, uh, went back to 1975 to to um, to uh, gather a uh, or to find a piece of um, computer equipment that was needed in the future, uh, and then stopped off on his way back to 2036 in the year 2000 when he began posting online the very early days of the internet, uh, and then of course we we heard all about him on coast to coast in January of 2001, and by March of that same year he was gone. Uh, and so Mike Sove is sort of piecing this story together and trying to determine, assuming John Teeter is not a time traveler, who may have been behind the John Teeter legend. And we were talking about this entertainment lawyer, Larry Haber, who's really only the one, or the only one who's sort of, uh, sort of out there furthering the John Teeter story at this point. Yeah, and that, uh, what makes Larry Haber a suspect aren't so much the actions of Larry Haber, so much the action of two of his brothers, and specifically really one of his brothers. I'll, I'll talk about Maury Haber first, because he's been accused by the hoax hunter. He's the, the um, uh, he's in charge of security at Beyond Trust, a cybersecurity firm. So this alone kind of makes him, he's kind of in that realm of tech. And uh, the hoax hunter has accused him uh, doing a text comparison. But uh, his other brother, whose name is Richard Haber, he's probably the chief suspect um, for a lot of people. A lot of articles say conclude that someone named John Rick Haber is uh, is the principal architect of the story. And it gets confusing because his name's Richard Haber, but he's been introduced to various people as John Rick. So for some reason they have him as John Rick. Now, if there's a smoking gun in the John Teeter story, it was found by the hoax hunter, and it's that there's a P.O. box for the John Teeter Foundation that is now like the official P.O. box. You want to send the John Teeter Foundation something, uh, you send it to this. And that P.O. box, before it was uh, registered to the John Teeter Foundation, it was registered to John R. Haber. And the, the hoax hunter found this out, and there's no real credible explanation for why that would be. And um, so Larry Haber filmed a documentary for Italian television called Voyager, and they hired a private investigator. And that private investigator concluded that it was, uh, he called him John Rick Haber, even though his name's Richard Haber. He concluded that Richard Haber was the principal author of the story. He also works in IT, just like more basic IT, like admin stuff. And um, so th that theory would sort of argue that, okay, Richard Haber's into this stuff. He writes the story. His brother's the entertainment lawyer, so he goes to him and he says, hey, Larry, can you be the face of this story to the world? Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about Kay, Kay sure. Teeter. I I is there an actual Kay Teeter? Do we know? Well, all we know, here's the interesting thing. Larry Haber's never met Kay Teeter. He claims that uh, a law school um, former friend of his uh, acted as a go-between and set him up with Kay Teeter. He's talked to her on the phone, but no Kay Teeter has ever walked into Larry Haber's office. So we think there's a, I mean, that we can only take Larry at his word. And that that's what always 
gets so problematic to me because, by all accounts, Larry Haber is a man of integrity. He's a professional. I can't understand why he would go about, you know, possibly dishonoring himself in this way. Why, you know, I don't think he could be disbarred for pretending to have a client that doesn't exist, but it certainly doesn't reflect, you know, positively on you as a lawyer, right? So whenever it comes down to, okay, it's all made up, I think why I can't really wrap my head around Larry doing that just from getting to know him the little bit that I have. Right. If I if I understand and remember the, to- the John Teeter timeline correctly or the chronology, he was born around 1998. He was, which, yeah, and he uh, which John we, said that yeah. his actual three-year-old self was there. He went and he knocked on his parents' door, and at first, of course, they were a little, there was a little bit of cognitive dissonance, but then they were, the, I remember the coast-to-coast, Larry is acting as a go-between, he's responding, he's giving the questions to Kay, she's giving them to Larry, he's giving them back to George Nori, right. and her words were, a mother knows. So, yeah, and I mean, in John's post, he does talk about living with his parents, that's all kind of on the record. So if he was born in 1998, that would mean that, that Kay Tidor, if she exists, is still a relatively young woman. Yeah, presumably. Mm. And of course, um, you know, your listeners should know, John Tidor was up front that the name is an alias, so there's no sense, you know, trying to find a Kay Tidor, because whatever her name is, that's an alias Right, well. that's an important point, right. So, uh, so don't go bothering someone <laughs> named John Tidor. <laughs> I know the interview is in your, your Q&A with Larry Habers in the book, but when you talk to Larry Haber, was he believable? Yeah, he always he always is fairly believable. Like I always find he's credible. He always, he just kind of seems like a guy who doesn't have a ton of time to deal with this because you know he's, clients are paying him to do other stuff. He's not he's he's only getting paid for what he does for K. Right? He doesn't get paid to answer my questions. Right? But he will right. do it. He'll be courteous, but he doesn't you know have a ton of time to do it. So another uh, possible suspect behind the John Teeter legend is one Joseph Matheny. Tell me about him. Yeah, well, Joseph actually came forward to take credit for the story on uh, the Project Archivist podcast. And if anyone has the bona fides to have written the story, it's Joseph Matheny. Because not only in, so there's sort of two Joseph Matheny's. There's the professional Joseph Matheny, who is kind of a big wheel at Netscape and Adobe. And then there's the alternate, alternate reality gaming guru, Joseph Matheny. So he was behind an alternate reality game called Ong's Hat, which bears a, a strong resemblance to the John Teeter story in many ways. I'm not sure if, if your listeners would be familiar with what an alternate reality game is, but it's essentially using the real world as a platform and using different forms of media to deliver the story, and players can become involved. So if you and me are engaged in on, Ong's Hat narrative, what I contribute moves the story in one direction. What you contribute may move the story in a different direction. So, yeah, he came forward to say... Um, that he was behind the story. And the problem with that Project Archivist podcast is the hosts are, they're, very, they're clearly um, very fond of Matheny. They don't push him very hard. And they're kind of having a laugh. Like, look at how dumb all these people are for believing this simple hoax I put forward. But there are a lot of aspects to what he claims that are, that do sort of ring true. I mean, he had the sort of peer group to do this sort of thing. When you look at, some aspects of Ong, Ong's hat, um, it does deal with quantum physics and uh, parallel universes. And um, the interesting thing about him is, in that interview, he claims that, uh, <clears throat> it's unclear whether it was him or whether it was one of his cohorts, but they, they thought it was great that this was taking off. There's, a, there's an anime called Stein's Gate that featured John Teeter. They thought that was great. But when they saw the John Teeter time traveler's tale, they didn't like that, and they, they told... Haber, you get that down off Amazon now. 
And that's why Joseph Matheny claims that's why the book is no longer on Amazon, because he said to Larry Haber, no, you know, you're taking this down. So, and I've asked Haber that, and Haber says, no, never heard of the guy. So right away, so there's a clear conflict between these two stories, like the, the Larry Haber narrative and the Joseph Matheny narrative. Right. But, uh, yeah, so he, he claims he's behind the story, and the really interesting thing, and he doesn't really play this up, but it's, it's what gave me a pause, is that there is actually a reference to Ong's hat in the post. One of the posters says, watch me pull a rabbit out of Ong's hat. It's, uh-huh. completely, it's completely devoid of context. It's, they weren't talking about Ong's hat. So I was thinking, well, hey, there it is. But then I asked him, and he just said, oh, no, that's just, you know, one of the people just happened to post that. It's a coincidence. So he didn't want to play up what I, what struck me is like his, the one piece of very hard uh, proof. Exactly, right. So would he, at this point, would he be your number one suspect? Well, in the, in the final pages, I kind of say there's all these permutations that might happen. It could be he did write the story, and then Larry Haber hijacked it to represent the story. It could be he wrote the story and hired Larry Haber, and the whole thing about calling him out is just a ruse. It could be that he wrote the story and had a third party hire Larry Haber. So Larry Haber is unwittingly representing Joseph Matheny's creation. It's like so these Russian all- nesting dolls. You open one <laughs> and there's another one inside it. Yeah, exactly. So I find it, see, it's hard to discount either of these guys entirely. So I feel like there has to be either one of them is lying or, um, and that, the thing about Joseph Matheny is he's kind of, uh, he likes being chaotic with the truth. Like even with Ong's hat, up until um, it finally came out, okay, this is Ong's hat, some books came out explaining what it was. He would deny in interviews that it was even a game. So he's kind of like uh, the archetypal trickster, I think. Uh, there's a book written about him, I believe, in the book. That's how the author describes him. Right, right. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Um, we come to uh, another suspect, Temporal Recon, which is a pseudonym used by um, another author, an anonymous author. Tell us about Temporal Recon and why he's yeah, a suspect. Temporal Recon wrote the book I mentioned earlier called Conviction of a Time Traveler, and it's a great book. I'd recommend, you know, if you're buying John Teeter books, buy mine, but also buy that one because it's very, it's 
basically all all of the arguments for him being real are very concisely and uh, eloquently expressed in that book. So, yeah, and Temporal Recon is very well-versed in time travel and very defensive of the story to the extent that almost like an author might want to defend his work, you might say. Right, right. And so, and he also shares some characteristics with John Teeter. I find I'll, I'll engage with Temporal Recon in uh, Messenger Chat, and I find he has the same ability that John had of using sort of sleight of hand to move away from things that he doesn't wish to discuss and kind of bringing you back around to his point of view. So he also shares uh, some of John's. John had a lot of um, anti-government leanings. Uh, he was a constitutionalist. Right. And uh, Tem- Temporal Recon in his uh, his own post, that's, he shares those views. So I could definitely see there's also a tie between Temporal Recon and Joseph Matheny. So... Temple Recon posted a blog, and it had the word incunabula in it, which is uh, which means basically like an ancient pamphlet or or script. And the post had nothing to do with ancient pamphlets or scripts, but the subtitle of Ong's hat is Journey Through the Incunabula. Yet time and again, he denies knowing Joseph Matheny. Mm. So it's a pretty bizarre coincidence. So certainly if you want to go the Joseph Matheny route, then I'm inclined to believe there's some connection between Matheny and Temporal Recon, although... Temple Recon denies this uh, time and again. So, John Teeter was a constitutionalist. Did you ever consider as a suspect Senator Ted Cruz? <laughs> well, he did. Didn't his father try to uh, kill Kennedy? So maybe. <laughs> That's right, apparently. <laughs> and, you know, that brings up a very funny uh, something that was posted on 4chan sort of semi seriously that Donald Trump is actually John Teeter. Uh-huh. Because the, the silly part is that Trump had all this you know, like freakish good luck in the election. Like he seemed to, everything that could have fallen into place for him did. He threaded the the needle, yeah. The other thing that lends it a a touch of validity is apparently uh, Trump's uncle, John Trump, was at MIT uh, when Tesla died, and he inherited a bunch of Tesla's papers. So that was sort of the jumping off point for Ah. this kind of fun theory that, uh, you know, Trump uh, is a time traveler. So maybe there was another theory I saw that, uh, Trump has actually saved us all because Hillary was going to lead to World War III, so Trump had to go into the future, come back, fix everything for us. That's fascinating. His, <laughs> uncle, yeah. his uncle John was at MIT and inherited some of Tesla's uh, technology. That's fascinating. I didn't yeah, know I that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was, I, I, it was quite fascinating. He always, Trump, I remember in the election, he would talk about how smart his family was, so I guess that's just one more smart uh, member of the Trump family. There you go. Mike Sove, author of Who Authored the John Teeter Legend, available at Amazon and also through his website, MikeSove.com, S-A-U-V-E.com, MikeSove.com. So that brings us to another suspect, uh, Oliver Williams. Yep, uh, Oliver Williams, um, and we, we actually have Oliver Williams to thank because he archived all the posts uh, shortly after uh, they were made and keeps them up on his website, uh, JohnTeeter.com. And the Art Bell uh, post-to-post board actually became corrupted. So if it hadn't been for that, we wouldn't even have the the bulk of the John Teeter post. But, uh, yeah, much like I would mentioned, Temple Recon kind of sounds like an author defending his story. I really get that vibe from vibe from Oliver Williams. I get the sense that, you know, when you hear him on radio interviews, he's kind of like the de facto spokesman for the John Teeter story. He's, he's regularly been on Coast. He's been on Jimmy Church. And uh, he's very... He knows the details inside and out. Like, I've been working on this for a while, and I, I don't know. I don't have the encyclopedic recall that um, 
that Oliver Williams does. Like I, I have this feeling that he knows almost every post by heart, right? Right. So that that alone kind of makes him a suspect. And then the hoax hunter has actually accused him of being in line, maybe because his website uh, sells a little bit of merchandise. But I don't really begrudge anyone selling it. Like you know, you're selling a few John Teeter mugs or something. I don't think exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah. What about the hoax hunter himself? Yeah, the hoax hunter is fascinating because he's um, he's a hard worker. Give him that. Uh, some of his his findings aren't as credible as others. The one I find kind of dubious is um, he accused not Richard Haber but Maury Haber, the guy who's the cybersecurity guy. He accused him based on his text comparison. It was pretty dubious. It was like. They both use words like infrastructure. You know, I'm pretty sure you can take anyone's writing. <laughs> that is a little bit of a stretch, yeah. Yeah, but the, the big thing he found, like I mentioned earlier, was that P.O. box. So that, a lot of people connected with the John Teeter story, like this woman, Pamela, who um, she interacted with John more than anyone. For her, that P.O. box just sealed the deal. He also uh, did uh, that, which must have taken a lot of work. He basically took everyone who interacted with John and he and he looked for those screen names being used on other parts of the internet. And I think he boiled it down to about 12 people he could identify as like real life people out of maybe like 80 odd people that were interacting with John. So the Hope Hunter, um, yeah, has done a lot of work and I think he's kind of stepped back a bit. I think he feels like he's proven his case and that there's nothing more to be said. It's interesting because Temporal Recon, who has the diametric opposite opinion that John Teeter was real, he kind of feels the same way. Like he doesn't have a lot of patience for you know, trying to convince people. He feels like he put all the evidence out there, and now there's nothing more to say. I want to talk to you about others who have been floating out there who have made claims to be John Teeter. Just before he passed away, Bob Mitchell, who was a colleague, I didn't know him that well, but he died just soon after he and, and Jason quit, yeah. um, released Disclosed Chronicles of John Teeter II. Yeah. Oh, Tell I'm us a little bit hear, yeah, about John Teeter II. I'm sorry to hear II. that Bob died. I'd, I'd, I'd heard that episode... Uh, when they were on coast to coast talking about that, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't, um, I don't really buy that John Teeter's claims. I mean, I'm not, I haven't spent a ton of time looking into it because I, I felt I was able to dismiss him pretty quickly. Uh, I think what I find a little bit galling about that guy's claims actually are that he says the original John Teeter was a fraud. I think I've heard him say, and so it just kind of seems like he's co-opted the John Teeter name, and and he doesn't seem to even know the original John Teeter story particularly well. And I really think it just speaks to the hunger there is for John Teeter content that someone like this who isn't really, doesn't really have a lot of validity is still getting, you know, a lot of play out there just because people want to hear anything related to John Teeter, really. Right. So, and I believe, like, some of the, I think this is, a, there's been a few on Facebook, but I think this is the guy, I believe he does sell merchandise. And unlike Oliver Williams, with him, I may be a little more suspect when you just start calling yourself John Teeter and then you start selling stuff right after. So I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of him. Right. Now, talk to me about the phenomenon of, of this legend surviving. Here we are 15 years, and, and I mean, we don't have a lot of time here, but you know, people don't realize, I mean, how difficult it is to start a rumor and have it persevere over years and years and years. What is it about this John Teeter legend and the early days of the Internet? Why did it all come together to produce this remarkable, enduring story? I think it's just because it's such a good story. It's so it's well-written. That's why a lot of people who think there was like a consortium behind it think that one of the people was a science fiction author. One of the um, comparisons, there's actually a few elements from a book called The Last Babylon, um, 
they share a few plot elements about the post-apocalyptic uh, side of things. And um, so I have read, I've actually heard speculation that the sci-fi author David Brin might be behind the story. I don't know what that's really based on, but um, yeah, for me, it's the storytelling. It's really, it's really is that, and it's. I think it's also that there's a little bit for everyone. Like I'm not a math physics guy, but if you are, there's a ton of juicy stuff to chew on there, right? Right. So I love the post-apocalyptic stuff. I love the philosophy of time travel stuff, and that's what keeps me interested. But if you are at MIT or something, and you're and or say you're like into uh, Michio Kaku, Brian Greene, mm. interestingly. When they speculate about time travel, they sound very similar to John Teter. Ah, that is interesting. Well, Mike, uh, this has been a fascinating hour. I, I enjoyed our conversation immensely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Richard. MikeSovey.com, and the book is Who Authored the John Teeter Legend? Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. Many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, David Collis, the author of Interviewing Jesus, the Man. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.